Let me ask you, what engages your mind? What topics of conversation could keep you going so that you don't notice the time pass? When you animate it, what do you think about when you're in a traffic jam or sitting on the bus or on a coach? What do you think about when you're awake in lectures? What will you talk about with your friends? You see, for many, it's just the trivia, isn't it? It's the sports teams and the transfers, or it's the celebrity news. Others perhaps prefer the lives of those closer to them, uh, who's being dumped, who's dating who, who said what to who and why. Oh, it all seems so important at the time, and yet six months later we can barely remember. And so we float along, not really thinking about anything. Even the tasks which require more thought, we don't really put our minds to. So the student essay gets bashed out late one night. The prep for a Bible study gets crammed into half an hour. And Friday afternoon at work might as well not have happened. Now the only time we end up chewing on the end of a pencil is if we're doing a crossword. Well, this evening we reach the end of a series looking at God's word. It's content teaching us how to walk, its purpose, giving us life, its reliability, being trustworthy and true, its value, being treasure more than gold. And all of those things, all of those themes are found in our passage in 2 Peter chapter 3. Turn to it with me at page 1223. Try and get sight of a Bible. And as you turn to it, turn to verse 1. And you see there that God's word is a stimulant. Let me read to you from verse 1 there. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. Old Testament and New Testament there together, pointing us to our Lord and Saviour and stimulating. God's word should stimulate us, stimulate our minds, get them whirring, get them going. It's literally to stir them up like, like a churning sea in a storm. Does the Bible ever do that for you? Does it wake you up? Does it energise you? Does it preoccupy your thoughts in that traffic jam? Does the car ahead ever move on without you noticing? Have you ever missed your stop on the bus? When you're talking with your friends, does it feature more than the latest goals or the latest gossip? I wish it did those things more for me. See, too often in the morning to wake myself up, I turn to caffeine, not Colossians. But here, Peter says that the Bible should stimulate my mind. And it's not saying that it provides me with a starting point from which I can set out on whatever fanciful notions enter my head. No, it is a purposeful and directed stimulation that leads to wholesome thinking. It leads to a sincere and pure mind. It makes me think right. Key to it is not inventing new ideas. No, it is remembering God's words. Do you see that there? Remembering is a key theme throughout to Peter. But look here, verse 1, he's written his letters as reminders. Verse 2, he wants them to recall God's word. Verse 5, over the page, the problem with those who mock the Christian faith is that they deliberately forget. And so, verse 8, he tells them not to forget. If we want to continue as Christians, 
if we're considering becoming Christians this evening, to be people who know and love and follow Jesus, then we need to remember his word. Why? Well, because it's through God's word that we discover his character, his greatness, his love. It's through his word that we discover our character, our sinfulness, our need of forgiveness. It's through his word that we discover Jesus as our saviour dying for our sin and as our Lord calling us to follow him. And especially here in our passage, it's through his word that we discover the certainty of Jesus' return. Remember God's word, remember Jesus' coming. Because look at what happens when we forget. Have a look at verses 3 and 4 and you'll see some headings on the, the cream sheet of paper as well to help us as we go through. What happens when we forget God's word? Well, forgetting God's word makes us doubt his return. Look there at verse 3. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget. You see, false teachers were coming in and making fun of the Christians. You don't really believe that Jesus is coming back, do you? Look around, the world isn't changing. Things are ticking along just as they always have. Stop the fairy tales. And doesn't that sound familiar to us today? Don't you know people for whom Christianity seems ridiculous? Sure, they like some of Jesus' teachings, or they think they do. But to talk of his return... To claim that he's alive today, to say that one day we will stand before him physically, it's a pipe dream, they say. Things like that don't happen. Now, there's no end to history, they say. There's no day of reckoning. Perhaps you'll like those scoffers. You doubt Jesus' return altogether. I don't know about you, but I find all I need to do is doubt that he will return today or tomorrow. See, that's enough for me to carry on as I am for another 24 hours, to follow my evil desires for another day, confident that everything will go along as it always has, at least until Tuesday morning, and then Wednesday. And so, oh, and so I can do what I like. See, that's what's really going on, says Peter. We deliberately forget that Jesus is coming back because it's an excuse for sin. it means we can get away with anything. If we don't have to face God, well then I can do what I like. These scoffers who ridicule Jesus' promised return are just following their own evil desires. They want to do what they want to do and so they will not believe that they have to give an account. They will not believe that they have to answer to God. They deliberately forget the truths that make them feel uncomfortable. I'm sure you've seen those dot-to-dot pictures uh, where to draw the outline of the shape, you have to follow the numbers round in order. Oh, my daughter, Emma, she's just starting to get into them, but the problem is she can't really read numbers that well. She can't make them out, and actually she's not that fussed. So what she does is just draw random dots and connect them together. Maybe she misses a few out. And, you know, if you do that, you can make just about any shape you like. And we do the same with God. We forget the bits we don't like. We put the things that are left together. And so we make a God who doesn't challenge us 
and a God who doesn't call us to change. Now, if we forget God's word, well, then we doubt his return and we make an excuse for our sin. That's why Peter says we need to remember. We need to remember it. And that doesn't mean that we need to be able to recite long passages from the Bible, however helpful that might be. Now, have a look from verse 5 at what remembering God's word will really mean for us. So, Firstly, I think it means remembering his power. Verse 5. Long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. God's word is powerful. When God speaks, things happen. The whole world that we live in is a testimony to it, brought into being at God's commands. And if God's word has that power, how can we doubt his word to us that Jesus will return? Indeed, what foolishness to use this world as our reason. That's what the scoffers are saying, isn't it? Oh, come on, the world isn't going to end. Look at it, it's always the same. And yet the world only exists because of God's word. It's sustained by him every second, verse 7 there. The world is being kept by God. Do you want God's word to make you think right? Well, then remember its power when we hear it. Well, secondly there, remembering God's word means remembering God's punishment. Verse 6. By these also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. God's word brings judgment. He's done it in the past and he's going to do it again. The reference here is to Noah and the flood which destroyed all but eight people in Genesis. Noah too, of course, had his his fair share of scoffers, didn't he, as he was building the ark. People who came along and said, judgment will never come. But then it did. Now I know, some people, many people today, scoff at Noah's judgment, the flood, just as much as they scoff at future judgments. But we know what Peter would say to them, don't we? He'd say, you've forgotten God's power. You've forgotten that he is holy, that he is moral, that he cares about right and wrong. You've forgotten that he holds people responsible. This world is reserved for fire, for judgment and destruction. Remember that. Do you want God's word to make you think right? Then remember it is a word that judges. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. We're moving on, verse 8. We see that remembering God's word means remembering his perspective. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Timing. Timing was the big issue back then. It was 30 or so years since Jesus had ascended into heaven and there was still no sign of his return. And so people started to think that it would never happen. Have you ever seen a firework lit and the fuse, it's burning away and it goes up into the firework and everyone's waiting for a bang 
and nothing happens. And to start with, everyone's on tenterhooks, waiting for it any second. But as seconds turn into minutes, everyone starts to wonder. A couple of minutes after that, someone's brave enough to go and pick the thing up. That's what it was like for these scoffers. They were fed up with waiting. And that's only going to be more acute today, isn't it? Now that 2,000 years have passed. But God doesn't work like that. He has a unique perspective that we don't have. A thousand years to him is like a day to us. He has that panoramic vision of the whole of history being played out according to his will. But that doesn't mean that he's distant and remote. No, to him, one day is like a thousand years to us. And so he's blown it up under a microscope, knowing every detail, every heart, holding it all in the palm of his hand. He isn't being slow. He is being patient, waiting so that more and more people come to repentance. Coming to trust Jesus so that they can be part of his kingdom. His patience is great news, isn't it? At the moment, on average, across the world, a person turns to Christ every three seconds. That means that in the course of this sermon, enough people to cram this building full will have put their trust in Jesus. Those with strong mental arithmetic can now try and work out how long I'm going to be. It's not too long. For those who come up from Moulton, well, by the time you get back home, it's the equivalent of the population of Moulton now turning to Christ. You may have a surprise in store when you get back. In less than three weeks, it's the population of Sheffield. I don't know what you've done in the last three weeks. I've moved house. That was enough to keep me busy. God has saved the population of Sheffield. not all here. They're scattered around the place. It's great news, isn't it? Waiting. Not wanting anyone to perish. But all to turn to him. I wonder, is he waiting for you still? Why not turn to him? He is delaying the fulfilment of his promises to give you the chance to do that. How loving. Do you want God's word to make you think right? Then remember his vantage point. That he is Lord of history, knowing the goal of history and working towards that end. That brings us to the last thing for us to remember here. It's there on the sheet. Remembering God's word means remembering his promise. That is the promise of what awaits us on that day. This day when Jesus returns. This day of judgment and God's punishment. This day of God's power. And the promise is glorious. It's there in verse 12. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. The home of righteousness. Everything made new. Everything made to last, made perfect, made for us. That is God's promise. That is his word to you. Don't doubt it. God is powerful to do it. He's proved that in the past. He's patient so that you can join it. And he keeps his promises. Do you want God's word to make you think right? Then remember what it promises us. And look forward to it. 
Our final heading on the sheet there. Do you see how that phrase keeps cropping up? It's there in verse 12, verse 13 and verse 14. What do we do when we look back and remember God's word? We look forward to the day when it will be fulfilled. Do you? Or do you look forward to other things, other milestones? Do we content ourselves to look forward only to an upcoming party or a holiday, to leaving school and gaining independence, to to leaving university and starting a career, to a wedding, a married life, to the arrival of children or grandchildren, to retirement and time to spare? Do we set our sights only on this world and not the next? But this world will be destroyed, says Peter. It will melt away and all those dreams with it. No, instead look forward to the day of God and get ready. It will be a great day, so get ready. It will be an amazing day to be part of. So get ready. The day will come suddenly. So be ready. And what does that look like? Well, verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. And then down verse 14. Dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Being ready means looking forward to the day of God and speeding its coming. Now I take it that means that since God is only waiting so that more people turn to him, uh, that we join him in that work of proclaiming Christ. That's our task, that's our goal. And how does that change your hopes for the next year? Your priorities for this week? what you'll do at university this term. And being ready means we ought to be holy, godly, spotless, blameless today. Why? Because we're heading for the home of righteousness. Now, it's not that being holy will get us there. No, it's that we want to be preparing ourselves for where our home will be. In the same way that if we were going to go and live in Paris... We'd want to learn French, wouldn't we? It's not because learning French gets you to France. You can't go and blag your way a free ticket on Eurotunnel on the basis of being able to sing Frère Jacques. <laughs> but if you're going to go and live there, you want to be prepared. You want to be living like it. Be holy. But it's not easy. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you don't need me to tell you that. It's not easy. I think that's why we're encouraged here to make every effort to work at it, to keep making the tough decisions that go against my sinful nature and selfish heart and instead serve the Lord and love his people. Be ready. And finally there, being ready means being at peace with God. We do that through his son, trusting in his death, living his resurrection life and looking forward to his return. Remember God's word. Remember our Lord and Saviour who it proclaims. Remember and stimulate your mind with it. Remember and don't forget. Remember and look forward to 
and direct your life by the certain promise of Jesus' return. Let's pray together.